Good morning. You guys have to come up here sometime and see this. I want to do it, but it needs to stay up here, right? <laughs> to see such beautiful ladies, just such beautiful ladies. Can you give yourselves a hand for just being such beautiful ladies? Oh, my goodness. So we're going to talk about Job this morning. Thank you so much for all your encouraging words and especially your prayers. I don't take that for granted. I would not have the courage to stand here and do this if it were not for the support prayers of the saints. You are loved with an everlasting love. And if you have your handouts, you will see that the wrong way out or going in adversity is what we're going to talk about today. Jeremiah 31, 3 says that, and underneath are the everlasting arms, and that's Deuteronomy 33, 27. In looking at the book of Job, I want to aim our spotlight at a different subject. Instead of talking about Job, let's talk about Mrs. Job this morning. The enemy takes pleasure in using us as women, and I often think that the verse in 1 Peter 5, 8, that says he walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, fits me in better. He would frighten us with such tactics and perhaps would not be as effective. But in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, when it says that he's transformed to an angel of light, that may be more effective on us because we would say, pretty Turn to Job chapter one, and let's do a quick review of Mrs. Job, husband, and while we consider the wrong way out or going in adversity. And I know we've already prayed, but let's take a moment to pray. Father, we give you praise and honor and glory. We thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for all these beautiful ladies who are here for this one thing to hear from you. We pray that you would speak to our hearts and the things that you say to us, that we would do them. We pray that you would assure that your word is rightly divided and that you would be exalted. And we ask all these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Your outline starts with a description of Job. And let's read chapter 1, 1 through 5. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters, and he possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys of very many servants, and so that this man was the greatest of all in the east. His sons used to go, to a go and hold a feast in the house of each one in his day, and they think that was probably a birthday, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. But Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. And also in verse 8, the Lord gives witness of Job's character. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God 
and turns away from evil. And then in chapter 2, verse 3, it says, he still holds fast his integrity. Job was a wealthy man. He was well known. He was the greatest in the East. He feared God, which could be a contrast. Usually wealthy people don't fear God. They think they are God. According to Jesus in Matthew 19, 24, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, if you are here and wealthy, obviously I'm not talking about you. So Job was a very unusual man. He was a family man. And I think he was a hands-on father because he kept up with the affairs of his children and made sacrifices for them early in the morning, all of them, just in case. And he was a one-woman man. One-woman man. But he also was a targeted man. His devastation, Satan had been scoping him out, licking his chops. But God had a hedge about him. And Satan had to have God's permission to touch Job or anything that belonged to him. Let's take a look at verses 6 through 12. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going up and through, going to and fro on the earth and walking up and down in it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth? a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Notice in the next verse, verse 9, then Satan asked the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions, possessions and increased in the land. Are you aware that God has a, has a protection around you and yours? Are you aware of how God has blessed you? Isn't it amazing with that being the fact that we can find things to complain about? How often do we spend time complaining instead of thanking him for his tender loving care? The psalmist in Psalm 31, 34, 1 says, his praise shall continually be in my mouth. Let's see if we can't move toward that. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Let me give you a heads up. It's September, North Carolina. Pretty soon we're going to start having rain every day. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Verse 11, but stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So that Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Notice that when God asked the question, have you considered my servant? The answer should have been a yes or no. But we see in verse 9 that uh, Satan changed the subject. He said, does Job fear you for nothing? In other words, yes. Dr. Davy comments that Job has been scrutinized by Satan. 
And I have been, he says, yes. And I've been scrutinizing him, trying to figure out a way around your massive, impenetrable protection around Job. He would curse you if you would take all that away. So the Lord allows Job to touch, allows Satan to touch Job and all that he had. Job's devastation. Let's take a look at what happened to him in detail. Verses 13 through 19. I won't read it all. But verse 15, the oxen and the servants are killed. 16, Pharaoh God destroyed sheep and servants. 17, the Chaldeans took the camels and killed the servants and the crescendo. Verse 19, a great wind smote the four corners of the house where your children were, and they all are dead. Devastation in one day, in a few minutes, all he owned was destroyed and all of his 10 children. But God, but Job does not curse God. If that were not enough, in chapter 2, it tells us that Satan returns and wagers that he can get Job to curse God if Job's body is touched. And verse 4 says that when Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin, all that a man has, he would give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, he's in your hands. Only spare his life. And so Satan smote him from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet with boils. In touching Job's body, Satan also put a blight on his reputation because now Job was quarantined because of his loss of children, his loss of everything. There was a whisper going around the town that Job's sin had finally caught up with him. And so not only was he feeling bad and looking bad, now he had to endure what was being whispered about him. Let's take a look at Job 120 and see his response. It says that in all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God falsely. Now, I'm pretty sure that most of us have not suffered the way Job has suffered. But in your suffering or disappointment, have you ever charged God falsely? Have you ever said, God doesn't care about me? God doesn't love me. He blesses other people, but he doesn't bless me. We know that God is no respect of persons, and he loved us while we were yet sinners, according to Romans 5, 8. Or are we like the children of Israel in Exodus 16, 3? that after they had been delivered from slavery, they walked through the Red Sea on dry land. In Exodus 16.3, it says that they murmured and said, he brought us out into the wilderness to kill us. Are we sometimes like that? God has done so much good. And we just throw it all to the wind and say, he don't love me. He's trying to kill me. Let's not charge God falsely. That would be the wrong way out, and it definitely would inhibit our growing in adversity. Guess who went through all of this with Job? His wife. Now, most of, most of the time we hear talk of Job's wife, you know, we all want to throw her under the bus because of what she said. 
Let's see if we can show her a little more compassion. His wife was dedicated to Job because she was his wife. As his wife, she was dependent on Job, again, because she was his wife. And you see that in verse 9. And in that day, a wife pretty much was a possession of a husband, but she was blessed to have a godly husband. But she, too, had lost all her children. She had lost her reputation, her security, her prestige. And on top of all of that, her wonderful, godly, rich, one-woman man was now sitting in an ash heap outside the city. And oh, she too had to hear the whispers. And I imagine she tried to care for her husband's, her husband, because he was so ill, because that's what wives do. But she too had lost everything. And now she was alone. Or was she? She had to bear the shame. And we don't know how long this went on, but I imagine she had cried all her tears. Have you ever had a situation where you felt like you just had no more tears to cry? Perhaps now she was washing her own dishes. And can you see her as she's doing that through her tears, asking, how could this be? What can I do? I don't know about you, friend, but I found myself washing dishes and washing dishes can be very therapeutic. It can help you grow spiritually. Because there are many times I've offered all kinds of prayers over the dishpan and many tears have fallen into the dishwater. Sometimes it's like half and half, half dishwater, half tears. But let me stop and define dishpan in case we have some young ones here that don't know what I'm talking about. So when I was growing up, my parents didn't believe in wasting anything. And so you were not about to fill my mother's sink of full of water. So there was always some special pan that you put in the sink that didn't hold as much water. And that's what you wash dishes in. It's called a dish pan. Now let me ask you this. How many of you have ever had dish pan devotions? Dish pan devotions. Just cry in the dish pan. It's a perfect time and place for the Lord to speak to you and a perfect time and place to talk to the Lord about it. Tell God about it. Because you were usually there by yourself. <laughs> Let's keep in mind that the enemy is at work here. And no doubt he is whispering something to Mrs. Job. Why is that a possibility? Because we've seen him do that before. Let's, let's remember in Genesis chapter 3, Eve thought the Lord was withholding something from her and decided to offer her husband the forbidden fruit. We, who had she been talking to? Who gave her such a notion? The enemy. And what about Sarah in 16, Genesis 16 too? Abraham knew what God had said to him, him, and Sarah was good with that until about year 10, and there was no child. And Sarah came up with the idea, hey, take my handmaiden, 
forbidden fruit. And she will be the way that God wants us to have a child. And so it's important that we understand that Satan loves it when we listen to him and take things in our own hands and then convince others in authority to go along with us. Now, am I saying that we can never contribute or offer our opinion or insight? Not at all. But I am saying it's probably not needed as much as we think it is. And maybe that's why the scripture admonishes us in 1 Thessalonians 4.11. Practice being quiet. Practice being quiet. Newsflash. God does not. Second. God does not need us. He does the impossible. And Satan is at it again and convinces Mrs. Job to say these words to her husband. Curse God. Lots of times people ask, well, why didn't Satan kill the wife? I think that the wife, he thought the wife was going to be an ace in the hole. In case there's other stuff that work, I got an ace in the hole. And thank the Lord that he, she had a godly husband that could help her with that. Perhaps she, like a visitor from Eve, had, had a visitor like Eve had in Genesis 3 that whispered, you can be like God. Or maybe she had an unseen visitor like Sarah did in 16.2. Thank the Lord she has a truly godly husband who seems to know what she needed at that moment. Perhaps your desire is for that type of husband. I am here to inform you today. You can have that kind of husband. In Isaiah 54.5, it says, your maker is your husband. And the Lord of hosts is his name. And if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, perhaps today would be a good day for you to get married. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ died to take away the sins of the world. And you, if you will admit that you're a sinner, Romans 3.23, and confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you can be saved. This is Romans 10.9. And if you have a question about that, please talk to one of the leaders today before you leave. Job reasons with his wife in verse 10, shall we receive good at the hand of God and shall we not receive evil? Job had said earlier in 121, the Lord have taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. How difficult it is for us to accept that concept. We like the blessing. We like it when God gives to us, but we don't like it when he takes away. Mrs. Job said to her husband, curse God and die. She was deceived. Job said to his wife, you speak as one of the foolish women. And Dr. Stephen David, his commentary on Job writes, foolish is someone impious or impious and undiscerning. Job is candidly telling her, speaking words that are beneath you. Have you ever caught yourself doing that? It's like, what am I saying? I know better than that. Guess who is helping you with that? You're speaking words that are beneath you. You know God better than that. And I know that you're disillusioned and you have so much to grieve over. But this idea of cursing God is a talk of women who do not know God like you do. 
when we have difficult things in our life, we have to refer to the character of God. And sometimes we have to rehearse with ourselves. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what it feels like. I know God is filling the blank. Whatever you need for the moment. Let's don't go along with the enemy. In her moment of deception, she had one that talked her off the ledge, her husband, Job. We have the Holy Spirit of God, and we have the word of God, which is so much more encompassing than any man or any friend. I commend you for making the study of God's word a priority in your life by committing to a women's Bible study and the fellowship of the believers. That makes a big difference in our lives when it comes to troubles and trials. As we finish up this chapter, we see that Job's three friends come to visit him and mourn with him and to comfort him. They also wailed and moaned with him, and it says they did not recognize him when they saw him afar off. And they had sat in silence with him for seven days and seven nights. And every woman in here thinks that's a miracle. Unfortunately, that's why he let the men come and not the women. Because we would have talked for seven days and seven nights. <laughs> so before, we, before I close, let me just bring some things to your mind to talk about, to think about. The book of Job brings us face to face with the sovereignty of God. That's one of those words that we really are not comfortable with. We like it when we say God loves us and God is compassionate and he's giving. But when we say sovereignty, it's like, mm -hmm, I don't know about that. But listen to this. God is sovereign, but in his sovereignty, he does not forget to be merciful. In Genesis, Abraham feared for his life and threw his wife under the bus. Remember when they went and, and were engaging with King Abimelech? He said, uh, tell him you're my sister because I want to live and I don't care what happens to you. <laughs> In God's sovereignty, he allowed Sarah to be taken in King Abimelech's possession. But he was merciful to her and to her husband. And in Genesis 20, verse 7, it says, Now, therefore, restore the man his wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. And if you restore her not, know thou that you shall surely die, and all that are thine. God was not playing with King Abimelech when it came to Sarah. He was sovereign. He let her go there. But he was merciful. He took up for her. He is all powerful, but in his power, he does not forget his faithfulness. Going back to Sarah again, she came up with her plan. She implemented it. But God did not forget what he said to her, and he did what he promised he would do. In Genesis 21, the Lord visited Sarah, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken, and she conceived and bare a son. He's faithful. When God touches the one closest to you, he does not forget his tender, loving care of you. Because he knows what that is like. He watched his darling son 
bear the sins of the world. He is compassion. When he touches the one who is closest to you, he is compassion. In Luke chapter 7, which is one of my favorite passages about the widow of Nain, verses 12 and 13, it says, When Jesus came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. He has compassion on us. Aren't we thankful for that? In conclusion, if we want to grow in adversity, we need to guard against deception by making sure our dedication is to God, not our possessions, not our family, our church, our reputation, and especially not to our own agendas. Make sure our dependence is on God. He is our source. God is our source. And everything and everybody is a resource that he may choose to use. But he is our source. And last but not least, let's make sure in our desperation, in our heartache, our despair, is fully surrendered to God. As Job said in 13.5, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I appreciate what George Mason said in his commentary on Job, that things continue to go on on earth, but in heaven, once Job made that declaration, it was all over. I don't care what he does to me. I don't care how bad it's been. I don't care how much I've hurt. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. God would never leave us nor forsake us. So let's grow. Let's choose to grow in adversity by choosing God's way out of it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We know that the things that we see and the things that are required of us, we cannot do it without you. And so today we ask you, God, those things that you've said to us, pour out your grace so that we can walk in it. And we ask that you be glorified. And we ask these things in the great name of Jesus, our great high priest, who has gone into the heavens. Amen. Amen. Thank you, ladies.